The reading this morning is taken from James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, and can be found on page 1147 in the Bible. 1147. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered amongst the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think they will receive anything from the Lord, they are double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed are those who persevere under trial, because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Thanks be to the Lord. Amen. Wonderful, Charles. Thanks for reading so clearly. If you'd like to keep that open, um, page 1147. And uh, let me say a short prayer asking God to open Scripture and His truth to us by His Spirit. Father, we come to Your Word because we know there is goodness there. 
Scripture God breathed, useful for teaching and correcting, rebuking and training in righteousness, so that we might be fully equipped for every good work. Lord, we present ourselves now as people wanting to do every good work for you. So help us, feed us, teach us, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Um, If you're visiting here, we're working through a series on prayer, and we've taken the Lord's Prayer, what we know is the Lord's Prayer, really just a template for prayer that uh, Jesus gave his disciples when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so we've been working through, more or less, line by line. And here we are this morning at this line, lead us not into temptation. An odd line in the prayer, I suggest. Um, Misheard by the little boy, I'm sure you've heard this, a little boy who was asked to write out the words of the Lord's Prayer. And when he got to this stage, he, he wrote, lead us not into Penge Station, um, which is an awful place. Don't ever go there. Um, I'm told as well that Richard Curtis, who has uh, written a number of um, comedies for uh, television, uh, most notably perhaps The Vicar of Dibley, and he was looking for inspiration for a sort of a, a new twist out of which, a new sort of twist of comedy out of which The Vicar of Dibley emerged. And an intermediary put him in touch with a female vicar. They were thinking, could, could comedy come out of an essentially good figure? And, and he was sort of playing around with this idea. And uh, someone hooked him up with this uh, young, bright, sort of sparkly um, female vicar. And apparently he, he kind of knew that this would work and that someone like Dawn French could really take on this role of the vicar of Dibley when uh, this vicar, female vicar, um, made him a cup of tea in the kitchen. They were just chatting. And on one side of the mug, it said, lead us not or lead me not into temptation. And on the other side of the mug, it said, I know exactly how to get there myself. (laughs) But I wonder if you've had a moment to reflect on, on this particular line. I mean, here we are, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, Lord, we know you've died, been raised again, you've inaugurated or set in train the kingdom of God on earth. Um, give us today our daily bread. Teach us to trust you daily. We, we, we leave behind the past. We don't worry so much about the future just to know you in the present. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. We want to walk in kingdom reality, particularly of grace and forgiveness. So all of that, yes, yes. And then lead us not into temptation. What are we praying there? What's Jesus teaching us to pray? Have you ever thought about that line? We we pray to our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation. Like, Like God secretly wants to tempt us, he's actually on the devil's side. What do you make of that line? James will help us. Verse 13, the bottom of the page. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Let's just put that one to bed. God is holy. That means set apart, so pure. He he cannot be in any way contaminated by sin. He does not know the pathway or the route to sin. He cannot be tempted. He's so pure. There's There's not any sort of foothold where the devil can get a hold. He just slides off. And in much the same way, such is his holiness and purity that he cannot possibly enter into the murky waters of temptation. So no one should say, when tempted, God is tempting me. So what are we to make of this line? 
lead us not into temptation. The word for temptation in Matthew 6 is the same word, uh, or derivative at least, that is used here in, in verse 2 and 3 for trials and testing, and also in verse 12 for trial, and interestingly, verse 13 for tempted. It's the word parasmos from the verb parazine, which means to, to test or, or to tempt, but more typically, over 30 occasions in the New Testament, to test with a purpose in mind, to test in order to ascertain something, to test for a purpose. In much the same way as when you were at school, do you remember your teachers used to say, right, uh, revision, uh, uh, homework is to revise, next lesson there's going to be a test. In other words, I want to assess how good the teaching's been, I want to assess how good the learning's been, so there'll be a test in order that we can prove that. Do you remember those times? Did your heart sink a little bit when you knew there was a test coming up? But, but how did you feel? Did you, did you, I'm sure you're, you're looking at your bright lot, you knew this. You, you knew when you'd done some revision, maybe it was a vocab test and you were pretty, pretty good at languages, and you just knew that you knew it. I, I remember that occasionally, early on, it was Latin, I had to learn Latin. And for some reason, I could take in Latin vocab. There were times when there was a Latin test, and I just knew that all the words on the list, I knew every single one. It was like I walked into that lesson thinking, come on in. Give it to me in Latin first, I'll give you the English. Or give me English, I'll give you the Latin. I just knew. It was that, it was that moment I just knew I was going to get full marks. The teacher would say, elephantos. <laughs> Elephant. I think it's because so many English words derive from Latin. That's, that's why I, was, I sort of found it so good. I thought, yeah, I've worked that one out. It was great. Look, look what James says, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because these trials, these tests, are for a purpose. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So God allows times of testing, times of trial, in order that we might develop perseverance. And in allowing perseverance to take its course, allowing ourselves to experience and undergo tests for a purpose, we might actually be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Count it pure joy, James says in verse 2. And he needed to say that to these guys. James is writing to, well, you see that in verse 1, second bit of verse 1. The 12 tribes scattered among the nations. These are Christians, and the 12 tribes there, probably a reference to Jewish Christians, Jewish converts to Christianity, probably in the church in Jerusalem, where Stephen had been martyred. And as a result of his martyrdom, they'd been scattered. A severe test, a severe trial. And James writes and says, despite that test or trial, consider it joy for what God is working in you. They'd seen Stephen literally glowing with the glory of the Lord as he went to his death. They knew that it was possible to have strength, God's strength, in severe weakness under prolonged strain and stress. The Lord's Prayer, and particularly that line, to those Christians was hugely meaningful. I think a more appropriate understanding is do not abandon us at the time of testing. Don't, don't leave us naked. Don't leave us alone. 
Don't leave us isolated under severe trial or test. Parasmos. Lord, we need to know that you are with us, sustaining us. Now let's pause for a moment. Are there any of us here under parasmos? An obvious external trial or pressure. Are you the only Christian with Christian beliefs, Christian ethics, Christian morality in your place of work? Are you constantly put into situations where there's compromise and you feel the white heat of, of, of that kind of peer pressure around you as you're, you're constantly being squeezed to subvert into a morality or set of values, goals and means of being and working and living that run contrary to what is your own deep conviction? That kind of trial and test then this is the prayer for you. Lord, please don't abandon me. Please may I not feel alone in the white heat of test in this pyrasmos. And maybe as you just utter out that prayer and create some space for a promise from the Lord, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or in John, do you remember? I will send the parakletos, the the paraclete, the one called to be alongside, the one who will stand with you and contend with you, who will lead you into truth, who will teach you everything that I've taught you, remind you of everything I've taught you, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Can we hold on to those promises under time of trial and know that God will not abandon us or leave us in the time of trial. Intense time of trial, maybe not quite like the church in Jerusalem, but nevertheless very real to us from time to time. I wonder though whether, secondly, there are times when actually for many of us, much of the time, the times of trial, as it were, the pyrasmos, the tests on us and on our faith, are just the result of the kind of ups and downs, the peaks and troughs of everyday life. Have you you noticed that of your own life? Just take a moment to, to think back over the last few weeks, the last few months, perhaps the last year, this time last year. And over that time, have you, can you measure in your, your walk, as it were, with God, can you measure times of Uh, exhilaration, of joy, of peace. Are there other times when it's been quite hard going, like wading through deep mud? Peaks and troughs. You're not the only one who's observed that. Where's my book? There we are. The Screwtape Letters. If you haven't got a copy of C.S. Lewis' book, The Screwtape Letters, sell your house and buy it. Have it on your bookshelf. Read it regularly. Screwtape is a senior devil, and he's schooling a junior devil, Wormwood, into how to lead astray what uh, Screwtape calls a patient, a human being, to lead him away from the enemy, which is, of course, God, into the evil clutches of what Screwtape calls our father, in other words, the devil. Listen what he, to what he says about life's ups and downs. If you had watched your patient carefully, you would have seen this undulation in every department of his life. His interest in his work, 
his affection for his friends, his physical appetites. They all go up and down. As long as he lives on earth, periods of emotional and bodily richness and liveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. The dryness and the dullness through which your patient is now going are not, as you fondly suppose, your workmanship. They are merely a natural phenomenon which will do us no good unless you make good use of it. As I want to come on to say, we live in a largely unseen but nonetheless very real spiritual battle. There is a war on. There is a war on and there is an enemy out to suck God's life out of you. To reduce you as a Christian. To enmesh you in the spiritual battle that wages all around. And we need to be alert to that. And aware of the fact that God can use the dry times and the tough times as a test, a pyrasmus in which we might persevere and develop God's work in us. Listen to what Screwtape observes. To decide what is best use of this trough, you must ask what use the enemy, i.e. God, wants to make of it and then do the opposite. Now, it may surprise you to learn that in his efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relies on troughs even more than on the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. Screwtape goes on. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life, on its miniature scale, will qualitatively be like his own, not because he's absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. We want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. He flows over with the strength and the grace and the provision. Give us today our daily bread to withstand and overcome trial and test so that we might be the stronger for it. He leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs, Screwtape concludes, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. Don't abandon us in the desert times. Don't ab abandon us when it feels arid and dry. When the Christian life feels like a plod, Lord, don't abandon us. But I wonder, in light of what James says here, Lord, what are you revealing to me in this tough and dry time? Are there things in me that need to be peeled off and burnt away in order that there's more freedom, more room, more space for you, Christ, 
to be formed in me. Maybe when we pray that prayer, lead us not into temptation. Leave us not in the time of trial. Maybe that's the, the springboard, the platform from which to pray, Lord, show me more of myself that I can repent of and put off. Show me more of yourself that I may put on and be clothed in. Finally, if there's outright trial and hostility, if there's just the ups and downs, the peaks and troughs, let's look at verse 13. Because although there's pyrasmos as trial or test, there's also pyrasmos, verse 13, as temptation. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Parasmos as the inner struggle, the moral struggle to resist the road that leads to sin and sin ultimately to death. Separation from God. This may be different from the external, if you like, measurable perspective of trial and test. This, the inner struggle with temptation to sin. And here, we just need to be aware, as I said earlier, there is a war on. And we need to wake up to that effect. To wake up. To be alert, as the New Testament writers put it. You know what it is when you're uh, lying you're asleep maybe in the middle of the night and there's a noise I don't know a crack or a bump or something unusual and it wakes you you're sufficiently awake to think and for the next few minutes do you know that sensation when you're lying stock still in bed you're kind of quite rigid lying there listening to see if it'll come was that a burglar was it a dog that knocked something or a cat or a bird on the window what what Do you know what it is? You're stock still and you're so alert. You're listening in a way that you're not usually listening before. It's that kind of sense in the spiritual realm. To be alert to the fact that there is an enemy, as Peter says, who prowls around like a lion. We need to be awake. Let's picture the scene. There's a lion prowling around. There are two sheep ahead of it. One sheep is awake, the other sheep is asleep. Which sheep do you think the lion is going to go for? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? So we need to wake up. Because the sheep that's awake sees the lion and runs away, but the sheep that's asleep is oblivious until its throat is ripped out. Excuse me for being graphic, but some of us, you know, We need to wake up to the fact that there is a spiritual war on. And as we snooze, we're not dead, we're alive in Christ, but just snoozing. And as we snooze, the enemy is making hay with our lives and our decisions and the patterns of living that we are setting out for ourselves because we're not aware of the way in which he works. That's why I really recommend a book like I mean, it's not the authoritative word of God, but by goodness, does it wake us up to realities. The beauty of the Screwtape Letters is that it gives us an insight into how the devil works. But what I love is that Screwtape frequently, I've just been rereading it and refreshing myself with it, Screwtape 
frequently reminds Wormwood that there's so much that they don't know and so much that the enemy, God, has over them. And, and he, half the time, he's saying to, the, to, to Wormwood, whatever you do, don't tell the patient how impotent we are in face of the enemy. Wake up to that. James says, and that bit that we read, just turn it over. This, isn't this a verse to commit to scripture, ch- uh, to commit to memory? Verse, chapter 4 and verse 7. In the white heat of temptation, how about this? Submit yourselves, it's, uh, as often is, a command and a promise together in scripture. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. There are the commands. Here's the promise. And he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It helps, I guess, to know something of how the devil works. How does temptation work? Look at James chapter 1 again, and verse 14. James, I want to suggest, has has jumped to stage 2, if you like, in talking about evil desire, because every single one of us are made with desires. Desire is neutral. It needs an object. It needs uh, something for the focus of its attention. So the question is not um, have we got evil desire or not. The question is with our desire, on what will we focus or on whom? If we focus on the Father of lights from whom every good and perfect gift comes, verse 17, then our desire will be for good and perfect things as our desire focuses on him, the source of all goodness, the source of all purity. But if our desire, we allow our desire to focus on something else, then it conceives and gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. Oswald Chambers, who uh, has written a number of kind of contemporary spiritual books and has this wonderful insight on sin, He says, at the heart of all sin is this. It's the doubt that God is good. Sin is conceived when we begin to doubt that God is good. And so he ceases to become the sole object of our desire. And we begin to allow ourselves to desire other things in his place. And we open ourselves up to tumbling down the road of temptation and into sin. Lead us not into temptation. Father, I'd love for the strength to resist the devil and to know the strength and the completeness and the maturity that comes in seeing him flee. Lord, give me an insight. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Show me in myself why, as I'm sitting at my computer screen, probably males here, am I tempted with just a couple of clicks on the mouse to go onto a porn website? What is it of that that so draws me in? Lord, I want to be able to resist that. Show me. What is the weakness? Is there some kind of lack of intimacy, a a loneliness? Is there some kind of powerlessness in me that tempts me to have power and to objectify the woman on the screen. Lord, fill that lack in me. Heal whatever hurt there has been in the past and give me the strength to resist that temptation and to watch the power of the devil 
float away? What is it when I look at others and compare myself? Am I too tall or too small or too fat or too thin? Am I wearing the right clothes? Do I look the right look? As I'm tempted to measure myself against other people, my insides to their outsides, and so that my whole worldview is horribly distorted because I'm not sure enough of what my heavenly father thinks of me. Oh Lord, lead me not into temptation where I compare myself with other people. Fill me with a knowledge of how you delight in me as my heavenly father. Father, help me to know what it is to be your child, the object of your love and desire, so that I may be so secure, uniquely secure in that, and free to love as you love me. Lead me not into temptation. Give me the strength to stand and stand firm, to resist the devil and to watch him flee. I was talking to a guy uh, who became a Christian, came to faith uh, in my first church in Bristol. And he was he'd, one of these sort of dramatic stories. He'd been a football hooligan. He, was, he supported Bristol City. Uh, to be honest, there's not a lot, a lot to watch on the pitch, so you've got to do something for 90 minutes. And, uh, but he got into this kind of fight culture, and it had become a drug. He was, he was, by his own words, addicted to it. He would go just for the fight, and the, the, the whole adrenaline rush. And he came to Christ, and pretty quickly, it was, a, it was quite a turnaround, and uh, made some dramatic changes. And he came to a time of trial, a pyrasmos, when he went to a game a few weeks later, and the whole situation, as he knew only too well, was, was beginning to escalate and kick off towards the possibility of a fight. And he had a choice, as, incidentally, every single one of us does at the time of trial. We have a choice. We can either give in to those little seeds of evil desire, or we can resist them. He chose to resist. Whereas ordinarily he would have run into the fight, he stopped and did something that up until then had been totally counterintuitive. To run away from a fight was to brand yourself a coward, a chicken, a loser. It, was, it, it, it warred against every fiber of his unconverted being. And yet, as a new creation in Christ, he turned and he ran away from temptation. Flee the devil. Flee it away from him resisted him. And he described it, as a, it was a really moving, I mean, he told this story, it was so moving, he said, as I ran away, for the very first time in my life, as so he could remember, I ran away from a, the possibility of a fight. He said, I could feel God growing strong inside me. He said, I ran with more and more energy, not because I was running away from a fight and frightened, I was running with the strength and the energy that God was pouring into me as I turned and obeyed him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You will feel so big as a Christian when you stand for him and stand against the devil and his schemes. You'll feel so strong and so secure you'll feel like you're standing on rock. One little tip. Don't fight a thought. Replace it. I was cycling down 
the road and there was an advert. I used to, it was in my previous church, I used to cycle to, to the church and there was a path I took and there was an advert, uh, a big hoarding and I, I can't remember what it was advertising. I just remember there was a lady and the lady wasn't wearing too much. And I just happened to notice that one day. And uh, the next day as I cycled down there, I thought I'd just cycle to work. Oh, there'll be that advertising hoarding. Oh, there'll be that lady. Oh, oh. And the next day, hmm. And the next day I thought, no, this isn't, this isn't healthy. This isn't, this isn't feeding me in a healthy way. And so when I got on my bike, I thought, I'll cycle down the road. Don't look at the poster. 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 Fight a thought, you'll lose. Replace it. Replace it. It was very easy. There were dozens of ways in which I could cycle. I didn't have to go that way. So I decided until they changed that poster, I'll take another way to work. Okay, it's another 30 seconds or a minute. Well, I'll get fit on my bike. Replace. Don't fight a thought. Replace it. Final thing. We have everything we need in Christ to overcome sin and the devil. It's called a covenant. I'd like to teach on this one day, but not for now. But we we enter into a covenant with God. And being in a covenant is like standing under an umbrella. We're, We're protected from the elements. It doesn't matter how hard it's raining. If I stand under this umbrella, I'm dry. But if I allow myself to tiptoe on the road of temptation out from under the covenant covering of God through Christ by his spirit, I'll get wet. So to continue this metaphor, it's raining (laughs) in every sense. Wimbledon week, what do you expect? But in, in, in spiritual battle terms, it's the devil is raining, pouring out rain. But in Christ, we have everything we need to be totally confident that we're dry. We are protected in Christ. Draw near to God in Christ. Resist the devil and to mix the metaphors, you won't get wet. A moment or two for us to reflect on James's letter. A moment or two to reflect on this prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Just a moment for us to open ourselves, as it were, in the quietness of our heart to the ministry of the Spirit. Some of us undergoing very real trial. You, you face the next day or the next week and you do not know where your energy or strength or resource is going to come from. Give us today our daily bread. And don't leave us, Lord. Don't leave me, Lord. Grab hold of a promise from Scripture. Cling to it like you'd cling to an umbrella in a rainstorm. Some of us, it's just a dry season, a barren period. God has not seemed real for weeks, months, maybe years. Don't leave me in this place, Lord. Teach me to find water in this desert. Show me what it is that you're developing and maturing in me. Can you even dare to pray? By the Spirit's help, thank you for this test, this trial. Many of us here battling with temptation. We know what it is, those choices. We recognize them. We're tired of giving in. We're tired of just colluding into sin. 
Father, now by your Spirit, come, we pray. Forgive us our sins. Wash us. Cleanse us. Lord, we want the strength of will to make the right decision in the white heat of temptation to go your way. That desire focuses on you. That we might resist the devil and watch him flee from us. Lord, where there's patterns of sin, come and reveal to us healing, replacing, a rewiring that by your spirit needs to take place in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our wills. As we sang earlier about being lost in wonder, love and praise, Father, fill us with a fresh appreciation of you and your goodness, your faithfulness, your grace and your mercy. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.